0: You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, Praise the Lord everybody. The Lord. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. will not we give the Lord a hand clap? Amen. Tonight, just thank God for His grace, His mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord this evening, Wednesday night. And uh, we have a lot of things going on around the church and our church family. Uh, right now, this week, we have many children that are at the kids camp in uh, Wapella, Illinois uh, District Children's Camp, and got great news last night that little Emma received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, uh, Emma Daughtery, And uh, we rejoice together with them. And uh, I think this is about six of our kids' very first time to ever be there. So just in Jesus' name, praying that God would continue to bless them. God would pour out His Spirit upon all them. And uh, we're glad, though, that you're here together in the house. Uh, Thank you for praying for my wife. I know many others are sick with this uh, common cold or whatever it is that's going on around here. But they are getting better. And thank you so much for your prayers there. Caitlin, happy birthday. Here you are in the house of God. We wish you a happy birthday. Amen. And uh, we welcome everybody here tonight. Joe, is great to meet you. Give him a great big CTK welcome here on this Wednesday night. As well, all those that are joining us online, uh, we have a lot of our church family as well. that still stay connected here online as well. So thank you for being with us tonight. We want to go to the word of the Lord and we are going to Genesis chapter number one. And uh, I'm going to ask you just to pray with me that God will help us tonight. We're going to touch on a lot, but we're going to touch on some important stuff. And we want God to uh, uh, just to bless his word tonight. This is midweek Bible study. And this is the time for God's word to be Amen, just laid out in our life and to give us uh, a forward direction, I guess you could say. Excuse me. And we need the help of the Holy Ghost tonight. So would you lift your voice with me right where you're sitting right there? Lord, in Jesus' name, God, I thank you tonight for this opportunity to be in your house. And I ask right now that your anointing, that your word, God, would have a liberty in our life. And we pray this tonight. God, you know every need, every situation. We ask you to speak into our life. And we pray this tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. So, we are in our series titled Origins, the Study of Beginnings. And this is part expository, part topical look at Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And these chapters, as I have contended, are so paramount and so fundamental because it is the first mention, if you will, of so much of our thoughts and our ideas with regard to the Word of God, with regard to uh, uh, doctrine, understanding, and much of the rest of Scripture looks back to these first 11 chapters. Jesus would reference it. The New Testament would reference it. So much of the law was built upon fundamentals that were expressed and expounded there. The prophets would refer back to it. And it's no accident or, or, or no irony, if you will, that uh, these first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, which is the first book we have in our Bible, <clears throat> are the most, let's say, contested or the most uh, twisted, maybe you could say, taken aim at, and sometimes maybe even misunderstood. Now, as we've already covered uh, a lot in chapter one, by the way, this is part eight. Am I right? Is this part eight? This is week eight? And by the help of the Lord, somebody say in Jesus' name, we're going to finish chapter one tonight on this eighth week. Amen. Amen. I told you this is going to be a long series. Uh, We are going to take a break the month of July. And we're going to hear some uh, summer uh, midweeks. We're going to hear from some of our our preachers right here in the church. They're going to be ministering to us. And so I'm looking forward to that. And then we're going to pick this back up in August. Uh, But we have been covering some things in the first part of Genesis, and we made room for certain uh, uh, areas of, let's say, maybe we would disagree over the interpretation. When we're talking about the creation week and how God created, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you exactly. All I can do is go off what the Word says. And there is a lot to be processed here. And and I'm looking at it through modern eyes, praying that the Lord would help me. And so maybe there would be some things that we would see differently. But what we've been covering here of late is not really... There's, there's really, there should be no discrepancy. We've been looking at the origin of humanity. We've been looking at humankind and how God feels about that. And the reason why is because it is referred to so much later on in Scripture and explicitly spelled out. And so we've been looking at mankind, humanity, and what we are to think about humanity. And so tonight. We've been looking at the origins of humanity. I don't know if you could throw up. I, I can't remember if it's slide 31 or 30 or 29, but it has the two points, the origins of humanity. With the two points, we looked at they were created by God, humankind, the origin of humankind created by God. And then number two, we looked at that it was created with gender distinction as God created. And we looked at how that is. And tonight, we're going to look at uh, the nature of, of humankind, the nature of humankind. So throw that slide up for me here. And you can see that those that are online, the three things that we're going to cover tonight by the help of the Holy Ghost, the nature of humankind, and that is human dignity, human sanctity, and human community. These are things that the Bible, scripture, the text that we're looking at here expressly teaches us and talks about. So when you hear these words and these phrases, and we've coined these, and I'll explain what we mean by this, human dignity, human sanctity, and human community. And sometimes you'll hear these things, these terms. These are not just man's opinions. These are not terms that have been used in the political world or in the Christian world or or the world at large, but these are things that were established by the Word of God. And if we do not have these very basic elementary fundamental things nailed down or understood, if we don't accept them as God gives them to us, we we are at risk to falling for whatever whim anybody says or anybody gets up and teaches or whatever happens. And in fact, much of the rot of our culture today and much of the rot of society, our civilization and everything could go back to the simple rejection, I would contend, the simple rejection of what is here in Genesis chapters one through eleven, and perhaps we could even just say it so profoundly. Maybe this would be this would be uh, just Genesis chapter one being rejected. Our society today rejects so much of Genesis chapter number one, and sadly, this is creeping into Christendom at large and Christianity at large. So I'm not here tonight to tell you what I think. Or what I believe, we're here tonight to look at God's word and say, "What does the word of God say?" You're fallible. I'm fallible. You 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 could you're you're flawed. I'm flawed. So we can't put faith in one another. You can't just come. We have to put faith in Almighty God. And God gave us His word. And so let's look at His word and look at what His word says. And we're going to begin here with Genesis chapter one. We're going back to verse twenty seven. Genesis chapter one. And twenty-seven, and this uh, one verse here is going to establish, if you will, f- for us much of what we're covering in our three points uh, under human, the nature of humankind. And God, uh, or it says in verse twenty-seven, so God created man in His own image, in the image of God created He him, male and female created he them. So this this right here, this single verse is telling us that God, as the author, we've already looked at this, for man, created man. God did this, nothing else did. He created man. But the significance here is God created man in his own image. In the image of God, created he him. And then he gives the details of the distinction, male and female, created he them. So there's something unique that is being placed upon humanity that is not being placed upon any other creature, any other uh, creation that God has done, and that is that human beings are created in the image of God, in the image of God. Go to um, Genesis chapter 5. Verse number one, so so I know we're jumping ahead out of chapter one, but if we flip over to Genesis chapter five and verse number one, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. Verse two, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. So in verse one, he's saying in the day that God created in the likeness of, of God made he him so there's two things we see here we see man created in the image of God <clears throat> and it's restated a different way secondly then in the likeness of God in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1 and this takes us to our very first point under the nature of humankind and that is human dignity the dignity of of humanity. And that is simply this, that we understand by the Word of God, this is not arrogance, this is not humanism, this is not self-worship, this is not self-grandizing, but we understand by the Word of God what God tells us by His account, that humanity is a special creation. So God created all things, and in all things He gets glory, in all things it testifies of Him, but with humanity, with mankind. He made them something special. The Bible tells us they were made in the image of God. Now, I know you have dogs and cats and animals and rabbits and gerbils and horses or whatever other kind of pets people have today, pigs, goats, chickens. I'm trying to think of all the animal pets in the church that are represented. I may have missed some birds. People have all those things. Those things are, are nice, but none of them were created in the image of of God. So now, when it says he breathed in them the breath of life, he's talking about uh, when he breathed into Adam the breath of life, man became a living soul. And in essence, it is understood that there was a, I I, I don't know, this is probably the wrong words, but but there was a holistic type being created in every creature that's created. But here the text is telling us there's something different. Now, I don't know I haven't been there yet. I don't know if dogs go to heaven or not. But what I do know is that man is not in the eyes of God. Man is not on par with a dog or with animals. Not all of our animal lovers. I I don't want to offend anybody, but let's just listen to what the word of God is saying to us. Now, the Bible says that not one sparrow falls that he does not see, that he does not not prepare something for them, that he is not providing, that he does not care for. Now, that is awesome, how God creates everything, and yet God cares for the sparrows, and, and Proverbs takes concern with the ants. So all the ants, my son goes out in the yard and digs up ants, and he digs up worms. My son really needs a pet. Luca, he, he may be watching now. The other day, he brought an ant in the car. And I said, get that ant out of the car. No, dad. It was in his cup holder in his seat. No, dad, it's my pet. I'm saving it. And uh, he'll, he'll bring in worms. Yeah, he, he, he had a, Herman was the worm, is his pet worm. He's somewhere in the backyard. And uh, Herman, he, he finds Herman and tries to bring him in. And we set Herman free again and uh, bring Herman back in. Every time he finds Herman, he's a different size. Uh, or a different kind, but uh, it's still the same herd. her. So he, he has a pet worm collection in her backyard. But man is not on the same plane, on the same level. That doesn't mean that we disregard life, that we don't take care of life, that we don't steward life. The Bible talks about that. But man was made in the image of God. So there's some unique things. Humanity is a special creation. The, the second point under this point, humanity is a special creation. Number two, dominant... Humanity is dominant among all creation. So go to this in verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion. Everybody say dominion. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. You are to subdue it. God Gave this responsibility, and he gave this order of authority to humanity. We are, in, in a certain literal sense, in this sense, we are the caretakers of the world. God gave that to us, and so when people argue about that, uh, uh, say, "No, we're not. Or, yes, we are." Well, we are. But why are we the? Care- why is it fallen upon humanity to take care of the world? So when all these people out there say, you got to save the earth, and we've got to do all this stuff, okay, where does that thought and idea come from? That idea is not an atheistic or agnostic thought. That idea comes from a context that God is the creator, he created everything, but man was made in his image, and God put the responsibility upon man. So when somebody argues that with you that doesn't believe in God, you can challenge him and say, hey... Then that is a God thought. That's a God idea. You are tying into a God idea because if you don't believe in God, well, then why does it have to be my responsibility? Why, why can't it be the, the why can't it be the whale's responsibility? Why are we trying to save the whale? Why aren't the whales trying to save us? Right? Yeah. But the reason why is because God has said you're made in my image. You're made in my my likeness, and so there's something special. About humanity, so God puts a a, 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 a a mark on us. I guess you would say in that sense. Uh, number three under this point, I would say, man in Psalms eight and five tells us that man was made a little lower than the angels. So there is a connection that God has with humanity that He does not have on a level with any anything else or any other part of creation. So number one is the human dignity. That's what we would call human dignity. So under human dignity, we're saying humanity is made in the image of God. Next, under human dignity, I would say this. What does being made in the image of God mean? Well, here's what it means. Image includes, are we on here? Image includes intellectual likeness. So we're made in the image of God. What does that mean? You have intellectual likeness. There is an intellect. God can communicate to us on an intellectual level. We are finite as God is infinite. So we, we're not God in that sense. We are finite. He is infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful. But God can speak to us and he can teach us and we can know. So God is not communicating with other creation in the sense that he's, creating, he's communicating with us. So there, we are intellectual beings like no other intellectual beings out there. No other creature in this world. Now we say they have colonies and all this kind of thing, but they have not had civilizations like, like we have had. Okay? So I know chimps are are very intelligent and all that stuff, but they're not the ones, they're not the ones flying around the world. They're not the ones creating ships and harnessing technology and all this other kind of stuff that God gave. So, God made man intellectual beings. The third thing, image includes moral likeness. There's a moral likeness that we have with God. The moral likeness is this we are able to reproduce and represent the moral attributes of God. God is moral, He has moral attributes. God is holy, He's holy. He, he is he is absolutely holy, God is love he's absolutely love. we could go through all of the moral attributes, but man is in moral likeness. we have a moral likeness. humans are morally responsible to God. God doesn't come down to fish and say, "Be ye holy for I am holy, but he does to humanity he doesn't come down to uh uh The coyotes and say, love your neighbor. Right? But he does to humanity. So there's a moral responsibility that's placed on humanity that is not seen in the animal world, if you will, or the the animal kingdom type world. And so when people try to reduce humanity down to animals, to animalistic nature, they're trying to extract that moral responsibility. And they're not, they're not taking into context that we can have that moral attributes. We can represent, re-represent, if you will, reproduce the moral attributes of God. God speaks to man and says, be ye holy, for I am holy. He gives us that command. So we are moral. Uh, we image includes moral likeness to God. Number four, image includes volitional Likeness to God. And what we mean by that is a voluntary, volitional, voluntary, or free will. And so, likeness to God, God does what he chooses to do, God does what he determines to do, God sets out to make his own choices. And in that same sense, God gave us that volition. He gives us the opportunity to be what he wants us to be or to reject him. He gives us the free will. We can determine in our life. So when somebody says, I can't do it, that's not acknowledging what God allowed us to be. He gave us the choice, the will, the free will to choose. And so that is a powerful thing. Image includes volition to God, moral responsibility, the fact that we have moral responsibility from God, and we know we do because he tells us, be holy for I am holy, tells us to love one another. He tells us to do all these. The fact that he is giving us that responsibility implies that we have the ability to respond volitionally or on our own. We can respond yes or no. Otherwise, why would He command us? He's giving us that. He commands us to be responsible. Look at this. In chapter 3, verse 6, before sin comes in, (coughs) excuse me, it says, "...and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food..." and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. The first thing we note here before they sin was that she saw with her eyes that the tree was pleasant to the eyes and it was good for food. She was aware. That it testifies of the intellectual being. And then also equally aware of the fact, as she's already had testified to, that God said, do not eat of this. And so there is here, before sin is entered into humanity, God has already given us responsibility. God had already given mankind responsibility. So God, I wouldn't say the old English word we would use is tempted, God set a temptation. It wasn't in the temptation, maybe the context that we use it today when we're tempted of evil, but God set, if you will, a test there. He said, look, you can have everything else, but there's one thing. You can have the whole world, but there's one thing in the whole world that by which obeying me, you are going to honor me and show your love for me. Don't touch, don't eat this. He didn't say don't touch it. He said, don't eat of this. And so they could have had everything, And God says, but look, if you just will do this. So God gave them a test there. So that was manifest to their free will. So he gave them the option from the very beginning of creation that if they wanted to reject him, they could. Because they were going to serve him not by some mechanical pre-programmed concept. It was going to be on their own determined choice, making a conscious a conscious control of their decision. That is that is the nature of humankind, human dignity. Let's go to number two, human sanctity. The sanctity of life, you've heard that phrase often, sanctity, human sanctity. Human life <clears throat> is sacred before God, and therefore he prohibits the taking of all innocent life. God formed, God Breathe. God gave. He's the initiator. He's the causer. He's the creator. You didn't create yourself. You did not have a choice about whether or not you would be created. God created you. Now you have a free will, but you did not choose whether or not you were going to be created. That was God in his wisdom, in his ways, his intention, his purpose. That life initiated by God is sacred before God. So human sanctity uh, would testify that life is sacred. Go to Genesis 9 and 6. Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 6, and it says this, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Now this, in Genesis chapter 9, we are looking Uh, at a place here where there was murder that had entered in to the world. And so God is testifying about this, that life is sacred and there's going to be a penalty and there's going to be a punishment on those that take innocent life. If you take innocent life, your life will be taken in judgment because it is the image of God. And so to take a life is to kill God in representation. That's what God's saying. If you take a life, your life will be required because man was made in the image of God. And when you kill a life, you are rebelling against God, you are killing God in, in representation, if you will, or, or or the word that we don't use uh, in our vernacular, very much anymore is effigy to kill God in effigy in replacement in in uh, to rebel against god to to go against God, so in that right there <clears throat> to take any in- innocent life is a rejection against God, so the taking of all innocent life, whether it be murder, whether it be suicide, or whether it be what we would call today uh, abortion, the ceasing of of life is, is to rebel against God, to try to take something that God has initiated. God represented God the likeness, he says, the likeness of God, to kill God in effigy, to kill God in representation, to disregard God. And so murder was a heinous crime that was always looked upon and dealt with the most severe of judgments, if you will, all throughout Scripture. And notice that it was the taking of an innocent life because when they would take the life as the executor or the carry out of God's requirement here, they were not murdering that life. They were following God's order, God's command here. So these are some hard things in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. So to take a life is to kill God in representation. But here there's a law that comes up later on uh, when Moses comes down from the mountain And it's based upon this. And the law simply, does anybody know this law, ever heard this law? Thou shalt not kill. Anybody ever heard that one before? Hopefully you've heard that one before. Hopefully you're living that out right now uh, somewhere in your life. Thou shalt not kill. Well, the law was not just given to testify of the fact that not only is murder wrong, but the spirit of the law went way beyond that. And Jesus exposed their hypocrisy in the New Testament among the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter number 5, where he lets us know that even hating a person, hating a person would be to hate God in effigy or in representation because that person is made in the likeness of God. So is God pleased with murder? No, he's not pleased with murder. Is God pleased with uh, this this idea that we, well, I can do whatever I want with my own body and I can kill my own self. I can take my own life. No, God's not pleased with that. Is God pleased with uh, abortion? Absolutely, God's not pleased with abortion because that is stepping in and taking the life That God has. But look at what God says here in Matthew chapter number five and verse 22. He's talking about, he said, You've heard it said, Thou shalt not kill. He said, But I tell you that whoever hates somebody, look at what he says. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, be in danger of hellfire. So Jesus is giving to us the spirit behind the law, thou shalt not kill. And what he says is, yeah, sure, you don't kill them, <laughs> but you'll trash them, you'll hate them, you'll despise them, you'll hurt them, you'll take advantage of them, you'll, like, you'll see them suffer, and you will smile about it. And then you'll step back and say, look, I kept the law. He said, but in reality, that person was made in the image of God. James goes so far to tell us when he's talking about the tongue, which is the unruly evil, he says that out of it brings, uh, he said, uh, a fountain can't bring bitter water and sweet, but yet the tongue, your tongue, James said, it comes with one moment and it praises God, and then the next moment it curses man. And he said, these things ought not to be. He tells us, Jane tells us, that we ought not even to curse man if we want to have true uh, 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 alignment in our heart and our life. Praise God. You can't praise God with, one, with one, one side of your mouth and then out of the other despise and hate and curse another person. And we don't think about this, but that's where that comes from. Where does it come from that you should not hate someone? It comes from that God created man in his own image. And so everywhere that there was hatred, everywhere there was conflict, God would challenge us, Jesus would challenge us. You go deal with that, you settle it, you get over that, you get through it, you work through it because there's something wrong when you hate someone because it's the same as if you would murder them. the sanctity of life. Now I tell you the irony of irony, the hypocrisy of hypocrisy. And you, you know where I stand on all these things because I just taught this. What the Bible teaches is about the sanctity of life. But you cannot take up a cause against murder or suicide or abortion and take that cause up in a hateful spirit. you then are doing the very thing that God hates. So can I be very plain? You cannot be a hateful pro-lifer. Because God says, you're doing the very thing that I don't want you to do. I want you to see them for who they are, broken, messed up, living in rebellion, but they're still made in the image of God. Why else would you go to the prisons and preach to the people in prison? Oh, they did, they did crimes. They did things. They don't matter. Man, they're in there. They deserve that. Let's go. Why, why would I go preach to people behind bars that have done all kinds of horrible things? would I could go, there's other people out here that have never been preached to because those lives matter just as much as the other lives. And God's will is that none perish, but that all come to everlasting life. Can you hate the sin? You can hate the sin. You can hate the spirit behind the sin. But Paul reminds us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And so I don't want to be guilty of the very thing that I'm trying to stamp out. Hatred will destroy your life. And that's what is so wrong with our society today. And I'll be very, very apolitical here and just offend everybody in the world and say it doesn't matter if they're on the right or the left. There's a whole lot of love lost. I'm so sick of news media today. And this is off the editorial page. I, I don't even want to listen to news media today because the moment you turn it on, I identify something right away. I don't care if I agree with him or disagree with him. I identify the spirit of hatred. And if the enemy can take get you to take up a just cause but to take it up with the wrong spirit, he's already won. Because this is what Jesus came preaching against and this is what Jesus died for, to save us. I don't need hatred <laughs> I got enough of that in my own heart. I need to be saved from that in my heart and in my life. Sanctity of life. So you see, you see how much Genesis chapter one matters. This is so important. How I treat one another, how I treat one another in the church, how I treat one another in my neighborhood, how I treat just the random person that I find on the street. I, I, know, I know there's people that drive you nuts. I know there's people that drive me nuts. We're real, we're human. We, we understand all that stuff. And I'm not talking about, you know, somebody bothering you or being annoying or just being, fr- I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is that deep-seated hatred. People that are just motivated by hatred. We all know what we're talking about. People that are just motivated by hatred and that just gets in your spirit. And this is what Jesus says you can't have there. The sanctity of human life. Because if you can despise anybody, then you're okay with their loss. You're okay with their loss. So human dignity, human sanctity, and the third thing we have is human community, human community. And in human community, here, three points, three points that we'll run through real quick, and we'll close with this. Human community, mankind was not created to live alone or in isolation. So here's a fundamental thing, and and this was really true. We saw this play out in COVID, in the pandemic, one of the most tragic things about the pandemic was how many people were isolated and lived in isolation and and elderly that were estranged from their family. And, And the most tragic thing I think of the last year was people that you were hearing of passing away that were all alone by themselves. That was not what God intended for man to be an island unto himself. And you can't be an island unto yourself. And other people have recluded and they've drawn in and themselves and try to live life by themselves. You can't do that. Man was not created to be alone. God created Adam. And then he took Adam through the process of letting Adam go through and look through all the creation and find out there was no suitable command, companion for me, God. God intentionally, because Adam was an intellectual being, God allowed Adam to realize that he looked, and the Bible says he found none. And so God then caused Adam to fall asleep, and from Adam's side, he took from his side. I know it uses the word rib there, but it, it doesn't just mean the rib bone. It means literally from that side he took, and he created woman from Adam. He made her equal with Adam, component, compartments, uh, uh, or or complementary, if you will, there, male and female, and they became one flesh. God never intended for man to be alone, and he never intended for man to live in isolation. He allowed man to realize that his first need, apart from God, his creator, was that he needed companionship. He needed someone else. It is biblical. You need God, and you need someone else. Amen? That's why it's dangerous whenever you hear people say, oh, I I, I just live for God on my own. I don't need anybody. I don't need a church. I don't need anybody. I don't know. You must be some kind of pseudo-Christian because I need the church. I'm here today because of the church, because of encouragement, because of people helping me, because of people blessing me, and I'll I'll, I'll go a step farther. I'm here today, I need my wife. I would not be the preacher or the pastor that I am without her. She helps me so much. And, and, and that's a blessing to have a relationship like that in the union of God, where, where there's a compartment and you realize, wow, wow, my, my pastor told me, he said, Andrew, you are all right, but man, now that you're married, he said, you are like, he's like, it's, you, you know, you really married up. Pastor Mooney always reminded me of that. You really married up. Best decision I ever made in my life. And he, always, he would never let me forget that too. You married up. We were, not created, we were not created to live alone. It is not good for man to be alone, okay? The, the next thing under human community is we were commanded, humanity was commanded by God to multiply. So here, this testifies again to the gender interdependence required for procreation. God's saying you're gonna to have to live in community. This is gonna to have to work. He's already instituted marriage, and he's saying, look, be fruitful and multiply. He's giving that command here. And he's saying, in order for this to work, there's going to have to be, there's going to have to be a community. And that first community begins in the unit of the home. You didn't get here by yourself. No. Um, Woman was created from man. But 1 Corinthians 11 and 12 reminds us that man is born of woman. So Paul says, yeah, you men walking around saying, yeah, man came first. He said, oh, yeah, where'd you come from? So Paul's reminding, there is an interdependence here. There is a community that was required. You can't say one is better than the other. God never intended for one to be greater than the other. God never intended for there to be one without the other. He didn't create Adam and say, oops, I forgot something. (laughs) It was part of his plan. And God allowed it to play out because he was trying to teach Adam something. He was trying to show Adam something. That's so awesome how God involved Adam in that process, how he included him in that process. He didn't do that. The text does not tell us he did that with any of the other creatures. It doesn't take time with that. It just tells us he created them, there they were. But it takes time to show us specifically because it's trying to teach us something. We learned that here. And then finally, number three, humanity was created as one race. Humanity was created as one race. And so we're talking about human community. This is is a very powerful thing that we need to understand. Humanity was created as one race. Adam was a real person, not a figurative person. Let me give you some things real quick that you need to make uh, sure you know. Adam was a real person, not a figurative person. There's a lot of people that say, well, Adam and Eve were figurative in Genesis. They didn't really exist. It's just figurative to sort of give us some basic principles that they probably weren't the first. Well, if, if that's the case, then Paul was mistaken because in Romans 5 and 12, he addressed them as wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Paul was referencing here Adam as a real person as that original sin was a real historical event. Adam, <coughs> also in Luke's gospel, when he gives the the genealogy of Jesus Christ, it gets all the way down to Adam in Luke chapter 3, and verse 38, and it simply says, Adam which was the son of God, meaning there was nobody before. Adam did not have a human daddy. His father created him. God created him. He's a real person. Luke did not put him in there figuratively. So that argument is is a very liberal fringe of Christianity. The next thing we need to know, created as one race, is in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. This is important. And so all men, by the way, all men come from Adam. Adam is the father of all humanity, from them. But look at what it says in Acts 17 and 26. We'll just jump to the punchline. And hath made of one blood. Everybody say one one blood. One blood all nations of men for them to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. Here, Luke is writing in the book of Acts and he's testifying here. Of of the record, I believe that Paul is speaking here at this point, and he's saying or testifying that every human being is created of one blood, that we all come from the same beginning Adam and Eve. Eve was a real person. Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20, Adam calls her the mother of all. Living, Genesis 3 and 20. Eve is the mother of all living. She's a real person. And so this is not something that was made up, not something that was figurative. So from the very beginning, it's teaching us that every single human humankind came from Adam and Eve. And so it doesn't matter your ethnicity, it doesn't matter whatever else culturally, everyone comes from the same original male and female, and we were all from the same blood. We are the same. We are humankind, as we would say our modern term, mankind. We are uh, individuals before God. And so uh, because of this, now here's another thing that the world, the world <coughs> wants to hijack some of the good things. Well, it's all good, but the the world wants to hijack select things that they deem are good, and tie them in with their evil schemes, and I say evil, with their anti-God ideas, and so uh, right now in our world, we're seeing in our community right now, in the last year, we've seen much, much talk about race, ethnicity, we've seen a lot of talk about valuing one another, and all of that stuff, and it's crazy that you have here large movements, and this is well documented. And uh, if you haven't caught any of our conversations with Bishop Wells, we've shared some of these things publicly and then privately. That right now, a lot of this equal rights stuff in our culture and world today is being tethered together, not accidentally. It is being tethered together. Something, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you fight for that? Why wouldn't you believe in that? Uh you take you take a, a wonderful slogan like uh Black Lives Matter. Of course they matter. You take something like that, a powerful truth, and it's being tethered together with things that are totally against the destruction of gender distinction, against the destruction of marriage and family. And they are tying these all together that to be uh, uh White or black is the same as being uh, LGBTQ plus whatever else you put in there. And they are tying these things together. And I'm going to tell you, this is a big, big issue in our society today. But what they are doing is they are taking something that is a biblically-based thing and taking something that is a direct rejection of the Bible, and they're trying to bring them together to push an agenda, to push an agenda through. I don't even know what all their agendas are, but I know that the spirit of the Antichrist is working. We know that the devil is the prince of the power of the air, and so they'll take something good, and they'll take something bad, and they'll try to tether it together, and they'll try to push this through. And I know a lot of people probably wouldn't like this. It probably isn't popular, but be careful. Here's the irony of that. It's an agnostic, atheistic worldview that says, I can be whatever I want. I was born any way I want. I wasn't made like this. God didn't make me like this. The Bible is wrong. That's an atheistic agnostic worldview. That atheistic agnostic worldview stems from or includes in in part, a large part, the doctrine of, and you heard me right, the doctrine of the evolutionary theory, which teaches a lot of things, natural selection and all those other things. It was Hitler who espoused the great evolutionary theory that used evolution and his type uh, uh, to exterminate, to try to exterminate the Jews. He had charts about this. They had, this is documented. They would go around, they would measure people's skulls, and they would tell them, Well, you're not evolved enough, so you don't as matter. And the arrogance of that, the arrogance of it, now I know I'm blonde hair, blue-eyed. But the arrogance of that was they would say, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed people are the most evolved. The, where where does that stuff come from? It comes from a theology or a doctrine that rejects everything in Scripture and says, here we are, we're just this accident, and we're working together, and all this stuff. And these people down here don't matter. What would have happened if he would have exterminated all the Jews? You know the next on the list? The next on the list were uh, 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 largely blacks and Africans. They were next on his list, Hitler's list of extermination of what they wanted to take out. So where do we get the idea that all life is valuable and all life is equal and no one is better than another. And we all come from the same. That is a biblical idea that every life matters. Doesn't matter whether you're black White, doesn't matter your language, doesn't matter your culture, that is a biblical idea. And the world is trying to take it on as, as there's some, you know, well, we've come to a greater place now and we know and now we can, we can deal with all these things. Let me just make this statement. Just because certain Christians past and present get it wrong and don't follow or practice everything that's in the word doesn't mean it wasn't in the word first and the word isn't right. The word is right. And so this book is timeless, folks. This book is timeless. It will chart you through any storm culturally. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how long we go in the future. If you will just stand on the word and stick with the word and say, hey, I'm going to stand on what the word says. I'm going to say the word's right. And thank God when culture gets it right. Thank God when society wants to get it right. But a lot of times they 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 they're using words and terminologies and then they're using other things and really at the end of the day their agenda is selfish. It's all about it's all about man building his own kingdom and all that kind of stuff. But the church, the true church has always been a people that understood the value of human community. We are created as one. So it doesn't matter where you're born, who you are, doesn't matter. We are brothers and sisters in creation. And then in Christ, if you've been born again, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And can I remind you that when we get to heaven, most likely there's going to be a small percentage of heaven that are are Americans. Or even Westerners right now, the church as a whole, Pentecostalism, even the oneness movement, let's say, as a whole, exist mostly in Asia and and, and, uh, uh, South America and Africa. And you look at the numbers there of oneness apostolic, Jesus' name, spirit-filled believers around the world, and I think the numbers that uh, Dr. French has upwards now are 35 million that would identify as uniquely oneness apostolics around the world, and there's not, (laughs) of the 35 million, you 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 don't have, a, 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 but maybe maybe even a tenth of them in North America. I don't I don't even know if it would come close to that. And so you've got a huge part. So our church, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, and we praise God for that. And this church has always been a church that celebrated that, acknowledged that. This has been a missions minded church for decades. In decades, a church that is giving to missions around the world. And and why shouldn't we? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And Bishop Blake, your many years of faithful service on the mission field and all of your ministry with other people. And you go where the Lord calls you. People are people. And there's different things, different places, but we're not better than one or another. We're all created uh, uh, in the image of God, and we value one another in that case. I'm coming to a close, and I'll close with this. Obviously, we would espouse, I don't even need to talk about this because I've talked about it before, but do let me touch on this because it's merited at this point in this series, and we would espouse the evil of racism. Racism is selfish arrogance at its highest and is encouraged by evolution, not creationism. When you study the word and you get into the word, you can't read the word and look at the word more closely and not walk away from it softened. And at the end of the day, what is racism? Racism is anybody that says, well, I'm better than them because I am me and they are them. That's arrogance at its highest. There's there's no justification for that. So it's ultimately arrogance and and selfishness in its highest form. In Matthew 27 and verse 7, though, let's look at this because he's talking about, you know, a time that was coming. He's prophesying here about a time that's coming. In Matthew 27 and 7, he says, for nation." shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. So a marker of end times is nations, and that word translated nations, you've heard it mentioned, ethos there. Ethos shall rise against ethos, that it's nationality, it's cultures, different ethnicities, and every person, black, white, uh, oriental, whatever you want to pick, comes from Adam and Eve. Now, we, we don't believe in evolution, but we do know that there's variants and different things as people moved around the world, different things and, 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 and gene pools and all that stuff, how things, we understand how all of that stuff works. And by the way, if, if we really were billions of years or millions and millions of years, the, the DNA doesn't support, the, uh, uh, the, the gene pool spread and everything doesn't support that long of a time Uh, span either. That was extra. And so, the evils of racism. Now, let me touch on this point, and I'll close with this, uh, because it is something to be merited, because the other idea that interracial marriage is wrong is not a Judeo-Christian idea. That is a secular idea from other civilizations, other societies that did not Permit for it. It, it, and here's why. All ethnic groups are number one from the same blood. We're from one race. God created one race. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament endorses endorses interracial marriage. You say, well, where does that happen? What well, was obvious? Look, look in 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 the children of Israel coming up out of Egypt, and we see Rahab. Later on, we see Ruth, who is a Moabite, and the Moabites have been prohibited from coming into the sanctuary because of how they treated the children of Israel. And God says, they can't come into the sanctuary. Uh, No Moabite is allowed to come into the sanctuary. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth is the grandmother of David. David, (coughs) by his birth, should not have been permitted. To come in. But he said, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Why? Why did God make prohibitions? He made prohibitions. In fact, you can go back and you can read, and he said, Don't let them come into the sanctuary. Because it was not about the ethnicity or about the race. And we're all one race, but we use that word today. You know what I mean? It wasn't about that. It was about whether or not they were in or out of covenant with God. And Rahab. Said, she's a harlot in Jericho, getting ready to be torn down by the shouts of praise and the power of God. And she says, save my family. They say, hang out a scarlet thread and your family's going to be saved. She comes in, Jericho falls all around her and the only people left standing are the Israelites. She said, where can I sign up? I, I, I want to serve your God. But she had already made that determination before. She comes in, and she gets married. And she's involved in the lineage of Christ. Ruth comes in as a Moabite. No, Naomi, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And she comes back. She makes a determination. It was about covenant. It was never. The prohibition in the Old Testament was never about uh, interracial, as we would say it, or intercultural It was about covenant. Now, later on, Moses would marry, or or Moses married an Ethiopian, and those that came to judge him, how dare he marry? He should marry an Israelite. And those that came to critique him were judged themselves by God. So the only scriptural command applicable to marriage is to marry, in 1 Corinthians 7 and 39, is to marry, number one, in the Lord... And number two, in 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, I want you to note that there is no prohibition in the New Testament for any such thing that we could even closely come to as calling an interracial marriage, even though racial and cultural differences abounded in the New Testament church and were addressed so often in the New Testament church. So if you are against interracial marriages for the sake of some kind of twisted Scripture, and the reason why I do address it is because there are twisted kinds of doctrines that do float around in churches, and I have dealt with them head-on, face-to-face, in in certain situations and in certain settings and in certain regions and certain areas. And so that's why I talk about it today. But if you are going to espouse that, my question is, why is there no prohibition in the New Testament— alongside all the other places where he's talking about, hey, you Gentiles and you Jews need to get along and you need to get along here and there. The one thing he said is marry in the Lord and don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. Don't go and align yourself, marry yourself and expect to be one flesh with somebody that denies whether or not God is even real and is not going to serve God. That's not going to work. That's not going to serve you well. So marry in the Lord. You've got to have faith. In God that was God's command and those were very explicit on those things so where would we come back now I know there's you know you take somebody I've got some good friends that grew up on Long Island and I got some other good friends that grew up in the hills and hollers of Kentucky and I'm going to tell you they, they may be in the same nation and they may <clears throat> they may talk the same language well I don't even they don't talk the same language <laughs> um, <clears throat> But those, those cultures are worlds apart right there. And you can go into a local city and you can find, you can go into, into pockets of a city. You can go right here in St. Louis and you can go and you can find very poor, depressed areas and you can find very uh, 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 um, high-end, high secluded, whatever areas. And, and those people are living miles apart, but in reality, they are worlds apart culturally. And then you talk about the different cultures in a home. Of how people are raised and all those kind of things. The differences in that. There's a lot of things that come together. It is foolish for us just to say because someone is, is Asian or someone is Indian or someone is European or someone is Brazilian or, or, or African or whatever, that all of a sudden they could be, couldn't be married together. I'm gonna to tell you, when you are filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you are truly surrendered to God and submitted to God, there could be more in common in the spirit in identifying than there is even in the other parts. So that doesn't mean there's difficulties and there's things that, and and, and things that have to be breached and all that stuff and have to be worked out. I'm going to tell you, marriage is work. And so there's going to be work in marriage, but for someone to take some kind of a crazy stance to say that they're not standing on the word of God. And that is this, that we are not only human dignity, human sanctity, but then human community together. We are all one, Amen. We are, we are created Acts, the book of Acts. Now, we're the people of the book of Acts, right? We love Acts 2.38. Well, Acts tells us that all man comes from one blood. So that, that right there says it. And I'm going to tell you, what was divided at the Tower of Babel was united at Pentecost. Amen. <laughs> yeah. right. Because God took Jews into that temple on the day of Pentecost and in a place where they should not have been speaking anything but Hebrew. God filled them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the men came up and said, hey, why are they talking in all of these different languages from all around the world? Because God was trying to tell the world something. (laughs) And I'm thankful that God can reach Gentiles because I was a Gentile. My family is far lost from God, but thank God for His grace and mercy that reached down. Stand together with me tonight. Amen. Do you love the Lord tonight? I love the Lord and I love his word. And I will tell you this, there have been times where I've been guilty in my heart of despising someone or hating someone or being upset with someone or having certain opinions or self-arrogances and kinds of things. But then you come and read the word of God. Oh God, change me. God help me. Yes. I want to fall in line with the word of God. I want to fall in line with the word of God, because I'm going to tell you, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will stand forever. Can we thank God for his word tonight, Lord? I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you for your truth. Thank you for everyone that's here tonight. God, I ask that your blessing would be upon them, every heart, every life, every home, every family, every marriage. I pray right now, God, let your word rule and reign in our life. Let there be liberty, deliverance, power, salvation that comes to each of us, God, and thrives in our life. And we pray this tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. Clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. Hallelujah. Thank God for his word. Amen. I don't want to stand with the world. I want to stand with God's word. Amen. Let God be true and every man be a liar. Don't forget this Sunday. You will not want to miss Evangelist Mike Easter. Amen. Come expecting God to do great things. We're so looking forward to it. And we'll see you Sunday morning. God bless. You're dismissed in Jesus name.